Well, this morning we bring our study of 2 Corinthians to a close. And Paul concludes with a powerful challenge to examine ourselves. He wanted the Corinthians, and with apostolic foresight, us as well, to test their faith, to examine who they are and where they stand. As we've seen, some in the Corinthian church had been denouncing Paul and his authority over them, as well as his faith itself. So he concludes his letter by challenging them to examine themselves before they come to a final decision about him. Now, self-examination is seldom pleasant. And that is especially true when it comes to questions about our character and our relationship with God. In fact, many go completely through life avoiding such and, as a result, will find themselves lost for all eternity. Others simply try to shift the focus from themselves to someone else, hoping to come out looking good by comparison, even on Judgment Day. Well, that's what the troublemakers in Corinth were doing. They were trying to make themselves look good by tearing down the Apostle Paul, which was really a stupid thing to do. It's not all that unusual, however, for people to deflect attention to their faults by trying to find them in others. And as was true in Corinth, it does happen in churches today. In fact, it seems to thrive there. You know, haven't we all seen those who harp about a particular sin and viciously condemn those trapped by it until it's discovered to be a secret sin in their life? Or those who try to legislate unbiblical restraints for others because they can't handle freedom in that particular area. I think that's why Jesus said we've got to get the log out of our own eye before we take the speck out of our brothers. Now, that's not to say that we're not to help get specks out of our brother's eyes. They can do him much harm. There's even a chance they can blind him if they're not removed. But it does mean we've got to carefully examine ourselves and pass the test before we can be of much service to others. And if we're not sure where we stand, how can we encourage others to stand with us? So let's examine ourselves this morning to see if we are in the faith. And we can do so by asking the same questions of ourselves that Paul raises for the Corinthians. He begins by zeroing in on the central question of our faith, does Christ live in you? Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not Recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, 
unless indeed you fail the test. But I trust that you will realize that we ourselves do not fail the test. The thing that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world is the fact that we have a Savior who lives within us. You know, others may have external laws and moral codes that make people very religious. Some may even offer supernatural powers through the indwelling presence of spirits. But only Christianity offers the presence of the Son of God. So the first thing we must look for in our life is the presence of Christ. Now, Paul has already defended his faith and given evidence to the presence of Christ in his life. Now it was time for the Corinthians to make certain he was in theirs. And it was critical that they do so. You know, I think the New American Standard and the NIV soften the impact of what Paul is saying here. They both tell the Corinthians to examine themselves to see if they're in the faith, and that if they don't recognize that Christ is in them, they fail the test. Well, the Greek literally says that if they don't perceive that Christ is in them, they are counterfeits. The King James says, except ye be reprobates. Now, reprobate is someone who is morally corrupt, depraved, condemned. If Christ doesn't live in us, we are still in our sin, and we're kidding ourselves about having a relationship with a holy God. We're not in the faith, no matter how religious we might be. Now, I do have to admit that thinking that someone else can actually live within us might seem weird, even mysterious, but that's exactly what Christ wants to do. He wants to live within us, to inhabit us. And since he is a spiritual being, he can do it. He can actually live within us. In fact, The body of a Christian is called the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's where God dwells on earth. He doesn't live in this building. He doesn't live in a sanctuary made with human hands. He lives inside human beings. He actually lives within those he has created and has cleansed. For his habitation. Now that last point is very important. Cleansed. You know, mankind through sin has polluted the body God created for him. The body he wants his spirit to live in. But he cannot indwell us until we've been cleansed. And that cleansing requires the removal of sin and the crucifixion of self, the death of self-centeredness. Only then, after we've been cleansed, are we fit vessels for his spirit. Only then can he come to live within us. Paul made that very clear in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. The fundamental test is quite simply, does Christ live in me? Have I allowed him access to my life, to my heart? Is his will now the will that directs my life? Now, some may object to the validity of that test, claiming it to be too subjective. And to someone who doesn't know the reassuring, comforting presence of the Lord within, I can understand their objection. So Paul goes on to give us a way to validate the test. Because even if the spiritual presence of Christ seems to transcend critical examination, like wind you can't see, there is readily observable evidence to his presence. Beginning with, are you doing what's right? Now, we pray to God that you do no wrong. Not that we ourselves may appear approved, but that you may do what is right, even though we should appear unapproved. For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. For we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. This we also pray for, that you may be made complete. For this reason, I am writing these things while absent, in order that when present, I may not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Paul wanted the Corinthians to do what was right, not so he could look good as a successful, life-changing apostle, but for their own sakes. In fact, he was willing to look bad in the eyes of those who thought he was afraid to do anything drastic. He would gladly give up the opportunity to show his strength by thundering down judgment on the Corinthians when he got there if they were doing right. When he said he could do nothing against the truth but only for the truth, he was saying that he wouldn't need to prove his apostolic authority and demonstrate his strength by coming on strong against them if they were living according to the truth. He couldn't fight against what was right. He could only fight for the truth. If they were doing what was wrong, then he would be obligated to act. Then he would demonstrate his apostolic authority and power in a way his detractors would understand. But he didn't want to have to do that. In fact, he says, we rejoice when we ourselves are weak, but you are strong. He would be happy to look weak by not acting because they were strong in the faith and were doing right. All he wanted, what he prayed for, was that they be made complete. The King James Version uses the word perfect. I think the word restored is actually a better word than either translation used. In the original language, the word used here was used of mending fishnets. It means to repair what is broken. 
Paul's prayer was that the Corinthians be restored by mending their ways. That was his goal for them. And he'd just as soon they do it before he got there, so he wouldn't have to deal with them severely in accordance with the authority the Lord gave him. That's why he was writing the letter, hoping they would mend their ways before he got there. His goal was to build people up, not to tear them down. And if they could be built up without a harsh, risky confrontation, all the better. All he wanted was for them to be doing what was right. And if Christ lived within them, that's what they would want as well. You know, if you know Christ lives within you, you'll realize that his reputation is at stake every time you act or speak. So you'll want to do what's right for his sake. And don't kid yourselves. Some things are right and some things are wrong. And the rightness or wrongness of an act is not dependent upon your opinion or the current societal opinion of what's right and wrong. The truth about what's right and wrong does not evolve. It's been revealed in God's word. And God doesn't change his mind. If he declared something to be wrong against his will or against our created nature thousands of years ago, it's still wrong today. If you want the assurance that Christ is living in you and that your body is truly the temple of the Holy Spirit, you will examine your behavior and you'll be honest about having surrendered to his revealed will about doing that which is right. And you'll be doing right not, not to be acceptable to him, to earn your standing before him, but because you know he's living within you and you love him and you want to please him in everything. That is objective evidence to your faith. Evidence that can be readily tested the last test is are you living in peace finally brethren rejoice be made complete be comforted be like-minded live in peace and the God of love and peace shall be with you greet one another with a holy kiss, all the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's the end of his letter. If Jesus is living within you, you'll be at peace. You'll have a sense of brotherhood among believers, you'll be able to rejoice even in tough times.
You'll have a sense of completeness, knowing that your relationship of faith keeps you in a constant state of restoration, of being made perfect in God's eyes. You'll be comforted by his presence. And you will be like-minded with other believers because you'll all be sharing the mind of Christ. In fact, insofar as it is possible, you will live in peace with all men. Now, in a sinful world, not everyone will be at peace with you. But insofar as it's possible for one party in a relationship to maintain peace... You'll live in peace with others because the love of God and God's love and a sense of his presence within you and his peace will enable you to be at peace with others. And then, in spite of the temporary restraints put upon us by COVID-19, you will openly and freely greet your brothers and sisters in Christ. The blessing of Paul's benediction, the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be freely expressed between us. Through the grace of Christ, through his offering us much more than we deserve, through offering his life a ransom for ours, we can know the love of God. And that love will be expressed through fellowship among believers fostered by the Holy Spirit. Bottom line, we'll be at peace with God and with each other. There will be no strife, jealousy, Angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, or disturbances in the body of Christ. Not if Christ is actually living in all members of the body. This is obviously something that can be examined. If we don't have a sense of brotherhood, if we find it impossible to rejoice, if we're always at odds with each other and life itself, we're not at peace. And that's because something is wrong in our relationship with God. If that's the case, we better do something about it. We better examine our faith. Have we been open? to the grace of the Lord Jesus? And is it evident that he's living within us? Has the love of God overwhelmed us and made us more loving and lovable? Are we in fellowship with the Holy Spirit? And can the fruit of the Spirit be seen in our life? Let's take this down to an even more personal level. Do you pass the test? Does Christ live within you? 
Are you doing what's right? Are you living in peace? If not, do something about it. Allow God to cleanse you, to forgive your sins, and make you a fit habitation for his spirit. Recognize the need to die to your selfish ways and bury the old self in a watery grave of baptism. Only then can Christ come to live within you. Only then can he empower you to do what is right. Only then can he give you peace. Only then will you be able to pass the test. Let's pray. Thank you, Father for making it possible for us to know where we stand with you. Thank you for giving us a test that we can apply to our life. Just give us the courage now to use it, to be honest, to look for the presence of Christ in our life, to examine our behavior, to see if it's right and in keeping with with your revealed will, with your word itself. Let us look at our heart and see if it's at peace, even in the midst of a pandemic and struggles and pain and death, because we're at peace with you. Help us, Father, to have the assurance that we've passed the test. We've been found acceptable in your sight, And someday you'll welcome us into our eternal home. That is our prayer in Jesus' name.